This is Life Between Classes, where we talk about what's going on in your life and in your mind between classes. Hey guys, I'm Holly. I'm a Spanish professor, and today I'm coming to you with a really important topic, something that I believe is extremely relevant to university students and really anyone who's been living on this planet in such crazy times. So as you probably guessed from the title of this episode, the topic is mental health. Now, before I go any further, I just want to remind you that I am a Spanish professor. I am not an expert in the field of mental health. I am not a healthcare professional, but I am extremely passionate about this topic. I have very strong feelings and opinions about it. And most importantly, I think it's something that needs to be talked about now more than ever. And that's what I'm here to do. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you some of my personal experiences with mental health, some of my thoughts on anxiety and depression, and I'm going to share with you some of the strategies that I've learned over the years for dealing with these challenges when they come up. But before diving into all of that, we have to acknowledge that these struggles are real, you guys. If you are experiencing feelings of depression or heightened anxiety right now, or just a lot of loneliness, then please know that you are not alone and that there's good reason for why you are feeling like this. These are challenging times. I think there, there's no one that would deny that, but especially for what it means for college students. You know, the other day, my colleague, another uh, Spanish professor, told me that she is a student who is a first year. Um, he's a freshman at our university, and he was telling her that all of his classes are either online entirely or hybrid. So he barely knows students in his classes, and because all of the extracurriculars are so curtailed due to social distancing, he's really been struggling to meet friends, to find his people, you know, to find his group. And I think most people would agree that starting college can be big enough of a challenge, let alone doing it during a pandemic when most of your courses are online. So I don't know, that story really, really hit me, you know, showed me the reality of what students are experiencing and just the isolation that they may be feeling because of these circumstances. And I would be willing to bet that things like this, stories like this, are part of the reason why we are seeing such a rise in depression and anxiety among students. So let's just all acknowledge that the struggle is real. And guys, we need to stop ignoring it. We need to stop pretending like we're okay if we're really not okay. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to feel good all the time. You don't have to, quote unquote, have it all together. <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean anyway? Listen, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or dealing with any kind of mental health challenge, it does not mean you're weak. It does not mean you're a bad person. It does not mean you're crazy. There are real reasons for this right now. And I'm telling you these things as someone who spent 
a good portion of my early adulthood suffering in silence because I was too embarrassed to talk about it. Because I thought that feeling depressed or dealing with anxiety meant that I was weak, meant that I couldn't quote unquote do life as well as other people. And now I know better. Now I know that mental health challenges are a part of the human experience for many people and ignoring them or denying them only makes it worse. So now let me finish the statement that started in the title of this episode. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to ignore it. So why do we then, as a society, often tend to ignore or deny mental health problems? I think one of the reasons for this is because they are oftentimes invisible. The symptoms are often only apparent on the inside to the person experiencing them. And it's only when they become more severe do we maybe see the physical effects of these issues. But think about this. If you had a physical illness or injury, let's say a sprained ankle or a bad cold, would you ignore those? Probably not. (laughs) Maybe some of you would. (laughs) But I think most of us would uh, tend to treat those symptoms, right? We would ice the ankle, rest it, maybe wrap it. Um, If it's a bad cold, we would maybe go to the doctor, drink a warm beverage, rest, get lots of vitamin C. You get the idea. And you normally don't call yourself weak or soft for getting a cold or rolling your ankle, right? So why is mental health so different? Maybe the time has come that we really need to see a paradigm shift here and treat mental health problems just as seriously as we would treat any kind of physical injury or illness. I think another one of the reasons why mental health problems are often ignored is because we think that we only need to treat them if they become serious enough to, I don't know, um, commit someone to an inpatient psych ward, for example. But just like there are varying degrees of severity when it comes to physical illnesses, it doesn't mean that we don't treat the more minor ones, like when you sprain your ankle or get strep throat. I mean... We may not need to go to the hospital, but we still need to be proactive about it and treat the symptoms. And sometimes even these more minor situations require a visit to the doctor or an urgent care center. So why don't we treat mental health in a similar way? Well, before we can move into that paradigm, we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be okay with not being okay 100% of the time. And from that place of acknowledgement and awareness, then we can be proactive about taking the steps, taking the actions to care for ourselves mentally as well as physically without all of the shame and stigma that's traditionally tied to mental health. So with all of that in mind, now I want to share with you some of my strategies for taking care of my own mental health. Um, These are things that I've learned over the years that work for me. Of course, everyone's different, but these strategies help me manage episodes of depression and anxiety when they do pop up from time to time. And please keep in mind that these strategies are not necessarily solutions. Um, They're coping strategies. They help me manage my mind and manage my emotions. But if you or someone you know is in a really bad place, then I urge you to seek professional help. Okay. 
So my basic approach when I do feel anxiety or depression coming on, um, there's sort of three steps. The first step is to notice, to be in tune with myself enough to notice when I'm feeling off, um, especially if it's for more than a day at a time, because I do think it's perfectly normal to have a day here or there that we feel especially sad or a little anxious, you know, maybe it's um, tied to a specific event in our life. If we're giving a presentation or, you know, have an exam, it's natural for us to be a little bit more nervous leading up to that. Um, if there's a death in the family, you know, it's completely natural. And I would argue it's very healthy to feel sad at that time. So I think the things that we want to look out for is when we're feeling off or down or anxious for maybe less clear reasons, and especially if it's prolonged for days, weeks at a time, um, and if it's interfering with our daily lives, you know, our ability to show up for class, to just do daily life tasks, you know, cook meals, do laundry, that sort of thing. So that's the first step, is to notice and to investigate, you know, do a little digging Um, and ask yourself, what might have triggered this episode? That's what I always do. And I'm going to share more on triggers in just a minute. Um, The second step for my approach to taking care of my mental health is to accept how I feel, to not resist the feelings, um, and to remember that I am not my emotions. My emotions do not define me, and emotions are not permanent. They are passing. As long as we allow ourselves to feel our emotions all the way through and process them, they will flow through us. And then step number three for me is to work to shift my thoughts and my actions to put myself in a better place. Um, And that's what these strategies that I'm about to list to you are really about. It's what I can do to change my thinking and to take um, productive actions to pull myself out of a depressed or an anxious state um, and just make sure that I don't fall deeper and deeper into that and that I don't sort of um, dwell in those states. Okay, so quick summary of that because I am a teacher. (laughs) Uh, Step number one, notice. Step number two, accept. And step number three, shift. Kind of the shorthand version. Okay, moving on. So let's talk about depression. Um, A little bit first about what it feels like or what it's felt like for me in my experience. Um, The best way I can describe this for anyone who's not felt this before is that it kind of feels like your whole world just goes dark or like everything is gray. Um, You feel alone. You feel like no one gets you. Nothing excites you. Nothing seems to motivate you. Everything just seems pointless and meaningless. Nothing to look forward to. And um, usually it manifests on the physical level, at least for me, um, as like a really lethargic state, just a, a lack of energy. Um, can also result in a lot of crying for no apparent reason and a desire to hide myself and isolate myself. So um, I experienced my first bout of depression actually when I was in Spain um, studying abroad my junior year in college. And I kind of giggle as I say that because 
uh, Spain for me, if, if any of you know me, then you know that Spain and particularly Granada is like my favorite place in the whole world. And, uh, since this original study abroad semester there, I have spent so much time in Spain and, and just love it so much. And it's just so ironic that one of the, one of the darkest times in my life actually occurred while I was there. And I think that had a lot to do with the culture shock that I experienced, um, homesickness. It was my first prolonged time away from home. And it was just very isolating. I had trouble connecting with uh, a lot of the people in my group. And um, I think that there were other things involved that were sort of brewing before I left for the program. So it it just kind of snowballed and um, came to a head while I was there. So that was several weeks, uh, actually more on the order of months, that I was in what I now recognize to be a very depressed state. I've gone through periods of depression in my life after that time, and I've gone to therapy, I have taken medications for a time, and I've come a long way and learned a ton about how to avoid slipping into depression and what to do when I feel like it's coming on. So one of the things that I mentioned first was trying to notice any triggers that might have caused this episode. So one trigger for me can be... (laughs) believe it or not, routine. Um, When my life becomes too deeply ingrained in routine, taking on a degree of monotony and kind of like living on autopilot, that can sometimes trigger a depressive episode for me. Um, It's kind of like falling asleep at the wheel, you know? So routine is one of them. Another trigger for me is actually very concrete. It's, um, seasonal, not getting enough sunshine, and uh, just experiencing, you know, a lot of long, dark, cold months in the wintertime. I'm sure you've heard of seasonal affective disorder. So not enough sunshine uh, and or not enough fresh air, actually. (laughs) I kind of joke around that I'm like a plant. (laughs) If I don't get a chance to photosynthesize, then I begin to wither away. Another trigger for me is kind of what I mentioned earlier is like being isolated or disconnected from people who know me deeply and get me. And I think that was part of the reason why I experienced depression on my study abroad program, because I didn't know anyone in that group going into it. And as an introvert, it takes me time to develop deep, meaningful relationships. Um, And I also because of my personality type, INFJ, this is stuff that I understand now that I, information I didn't have at the time, I don't really do surface level friendships as well. And I need those deep, meaningful connections, kind of like nutrients to my soul. So again, you know, no wonder if you're a college student, why you might be struggling during these times of isolation, because how can you make those meaningful connections with people if you are barely allowed to be around them face to face? Okay, so a few other triggers worth mentioning. This one is more historically for me, not as much anymore, but, you know, body image, insecurities, comparison, comparing myself to other people that has led to a lot of self-loathing and wanting to literally escape my body, which is just such a sad thing. It's hard for me to even say those words because I have really healed my relationship with my body and I value my body so much more now than I did when I was in my early 20s. Um... Lacking meaning in my work or in my day-to-day activities. 
when I'm doing a job that seems pointless, when it seems disconnected from what I believe to be my greater purpose in life. And then finally, the last trigger for me is when I when I find myself kind of with some negative self-talk, um, I can be extremely critical of myself and my performance in particular. When I was younger, it was all centered around grades and academic performance. And then later in my adult life, it's been around my career, evaluations from students, evaluations from colleagues and superiors in the workplace. When I'm feeling ineffective or insignificant or bad at what I do, that's when I begin questioning my purpose in life. And that often leads to feelings of depression if I let it like take root. It also is an indication that I'm putting too much value in my actions and performance and that I'm seeking approval or validation outside of myself, which is not effective. And I I know these things, but I still sometimes have these programs that run. So that can be a trigger if I I notice that kind of self-talk, the just really hypercritical, you know, the one that says like, you're a terrible professor, students don't learn from you, you can't do anything right, that was a terrible lesson. Um, And I'm just being really candid about this, you guys, because I think that a lot of people can probably relate to this. And it's something that I have a lot of self-awareness around now. So I notice when that's happening and I'm able to talk myself out of it and recognize that as, you know, the voice of the judge, the voice of the critic. But would I talk to my best friend that way? No, of course not. So we need to be good to ourselves and we need to be careful of what story we tell ourselves um, and notice when we're running a faulty narrative because that can often set us up for trouble and sink us into a depressed state for a time. Okay, so those are my triggers. Now let me move into some of my strategies for navigating my emotions when I find myself in this place. Okay. So strategy number one really tackles that um, trigger of isolation or feeling disconnected from people. And the irony is that when sometimes when we start to feel isolated, it's like a mm, vicious cycle and we want to isolate ourselves more and more and we don't want to reach out and talk to people. But that's exactly what we need to do a lot of the times. So Often, I just text my friends. That's strategy number one, is just go through my list of close friends in my phone and just send a little one-line message to them. Like, hey, thinking of you, sending love. (laughs) If you're my friend, you've most certainly gotten that message from me at some point. And usually I send that message either when I'm really happy or kind of sad. (laughs) So, um, it you know, it just helps me to feel connected with people. Like even if I'm not up for a full conversation, I can at least know that I am seen and heard and that I'm not alone, that I have friends and I could reach out to them. I could, I could call them if I wanted to, you know, and they're there for me. And sometimes just need that little reminder. Okay. Strategy number two is kind of similar, especially when a depressed state is triggered by like, feeling down on myself, you know, a lot of the self-critical talk. I go back and I reread nice notes that people have written me over the years, whether it's friends or family or former students. I think that words of affirmation must be one of my love languages because these are huge for me. 
sometimes I just need a reminder of like how other people see me and I need to borrow another person, another person's vision of me that I can trust more than my own in that really self-critical moment. And so this reminds me that even though I may feel worthless in this moment, that's just a faulty program running in my mind. And it's not the truth that I do mean something to people and that I have done meaningful things in my life. Okay, strategy number three is an awesome one. I love this one. It's all about channeling my emotions. I do this in many different ways. Um, One way, actually, this is something I do on a daily basis, not just when I'm feeling down, but um, I write in my journal. Another way is to paint or draw something. Anything that's expressive and creative and that allows the emotions to flow through us, right? That's exactly what it means to be a channel. And remember, emotions are meant to flow through us. We need to open ourselves up to not block them. And it's a beautiful thing when we can allow them to flow in a creative way and and, um, produce something creative as a result. So, and it doesn't have to be about like producing something, you know, you don't have to write a song or a poem or paint a picture. You may flow your emotions by way of like dance or just singing, you know, belting at the top of your lungs, or it could even take the form of like exercising. And I've talked about this before on the podcast as a way of channeling. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a a, a beautiful way to allow our emotions to kind of work with us instead of us resisting them. And then something that's sort of related to this, not exactly channeling maybe, but just listening to really loud music and just letting myself be totally absorbed in it is, I mean, it's medicine for me. Music is medicine. I truly believe that. Um, And sometimes I like to listen to music that sort of echoes my emotional state, whether that's angry music or sad music, um, whatever I'm feeling. But it, it sort of helps me to just process those feelings and to just be with those emotions, you know, instead of resisting them. Uh, I don't think that we always need to go and try to put on uppy happy music to change our emotional state. I think that can be an effective tool at times, but other times it's about being with the emotions and, and feeling them. And music can really help us to do that. Now, with that said... I do need to be cognizant of how long I allow myself to dwell in those emotions, especially if they're particularly heavy emotions, because there's a difference between being with your emotions, allowing yourself to feel them, and dwelling in them and allowing them to take root and fester, and that's often what can bring on a deeper depressed state. Okay, strategy number four is another really great one. It's getting into my body, doing something physical, going for a run or doing some yoga, even just a brisk walk can sometimes do the trick. You know, if I'm feeling really down and lethargic, I don't necessarily feel like going out for a walk or a run, but that's the best thing for me. And, you know, getting my heart rate up, getting the blood pumping, the energy flowing is just such a great thing for our body and our mind. And not to mention, it releases the mood-boosting endorphins that help us feel great at the end. Okay, strategy number six is... Nope, number five. Just kidding. (laughs) Strategy number five is to get out in nature. 
Oh my gosh. Nature is also just like medicine for the soul. Um, I think that a lot of times we don't realize when we are lacking that like exposure to nature, but just going out and like touching the grass, you know, touching the bark of a tree, (laughs) they say go hug a tree, right? But I, I think that there actually is some wisdom in that because it's just about having that direct contact with nature in just like the very tactile way. It does something for us. We are not meant to be cooped up indoors all the time. We need fresh air. We need to feel the sunshine on our face. So time in nature, whether it's going for a hike or even just like stepping out into my backyard, especially if I've gone all day without stepping outside, which yes, that does happen from time to time. Really, that alone can do the trick. Okay, so strategy number six is more of a mental like introspective strategy, but it's very effective for me. Basically what this involves is releasing or recasting my self-deprecating thoughts by doing a brain dump. And um, by that, I mean writing down all of the thoughts in my head, no matter how bad or ugly or negative they are, just getting them out, writing them in my journal, And then I get to decide or declare that I don't have to believe any of those thoughts. Those are just thoughts. And just like I said, I am not my emotions. Well, I'm also not my thoughts. And my thoughts do not define me and they are not necessarily facts. (laughs) A lot of my thoughts are just stories or, or programs that are running that I get to choose whether or not I believe them. So there's something about seeing them all like listed out on paper. And yes, that means we do have to be brutally honest with ourselves and really do a little digging. But um, once we can see them listed on paper, then we can also, we can either like toss them completely and just be like, I don't want to believe that, that one, that's, that's in the trash. Um, Or we can take them and sort of tweak, modify and change them you know, change it from something, something like I'm a terrible professor could be modified uh, to I am a professor who is a human being who has good days and bad days, just like anyone else. Or uh, another similar thought would be, I don't have to be a perfect professor to be a good professor. So take professor and replace it with student And there you go. There's a good thought for you if you're anything like me and struggle from time to time with critical self-talk. Okay, so that was strategy number six, release or recast self-deprecating thoughts. Okay, oh, number seven. I love strategy number seven is to spend time with animals. Oh my goodness, animals are such good friends and... They are wise teachers. We can learn so much from animals, um, but they can also be really comforting if we're feeling down. So I like to cuddle with my cats (laughs) when I, when I need that little bit of comfort or I'll borrow a friend's dog, (laughs) not actually borrow, but you know, visit a friend's dog. It's a nice thing to do. Um, Or watch funny animal videos if you don't have access to a real life animal if you are living in, you know, a residence hall at your university. Uh, All kinds of great, (laughs) funny animal videos out there. I just recently rediscovered that really old one. It's called Animal Crackers from um, BBC. 
It is so funny, you guys. Oh my gosh. If you don't know it, please go look it up. Okay. Uh, that was number seven. Number eight is, oh yes, this is a deep one. Um, and this is actually my final one for this category. So reconnect with my spiritual center. What this means for me is to take some time in prayer or meditation to connect with that which is deeper than myself, whether you call it God or a higher power or source or creator or divine intelligence. Um, to me, it's kind of just different language, all pointing to the same, the same presence, the same consciousness, but it helps me to connect with that, especially in these dark times, um, when I'm having a dark moment and to remind myself that I am a spiritual being having a human experience. It reminds me that I am more than my thoughts and my emotions. I am the awareness behind them. And uh, to know that I am connected to something so much greater than myself and that this divine presence is the constant in my life. And that gives me peace. That gives me comfort. And it gives me strength because I believe that I'm supported and loved no matter what. No matter what I'm going through. I can always come back to that, that source that I can connect to within me. So maybe that resonates with you. Maybe not. That for me should actually be listed as number one. Okay. Um, next let's move on to anxiety and this category is a bit shorter. You're going to see similar strategies for coping with this one, but just a little bit really quick about my anxiety, uh, sorry, my, my background experience with anxiety so I first began to experience severe anxiety in college, which of course is very common. I became obsessive about academic performance, like I mentioned earlier. Um, the worry became constant and all-consuming. It was like carrying around this weight that I could never quite shake, even when I wasn't in a typically anxiety-provoking situation. So it was independent of exams or projects or papers. Of course, you know, it's natural to feel anxiety leading up to, to a big deadline or a big event. But for me and for what many people experience is when it's constant, when there, it's just like this constant underlying discomfort, just anxiety. I mean, it's a hard thing to even describe, but it's just this constant underlying worry that you just carry with you no matter what you're doing. And I have to say that it really takes the fun out of a lot of things in life because you have that constantly running in the back of your mind. For me, it manifested physically. I was having a lot of like GI symptoms. Incessant heartburn was the big one for me with like no particular cause. It was just a constant like acid reflux situation. And I actually went to a specialist about this. And it was the uh, gastroenterologist that uh, first suspected that I was dealing with anxiety. And that was actually the first person to prescribe an, um, an anti-anxiety medication for me, which I actually didn't take at the time. I didn't take that until I went into therapy when I was in grad school. But that was just kind of like an interesting side note that I thought I'd mention. I also experienced panic attacks in college. And on a couple of occasions, that actually prevented me from going to class and going to social events. So again, I have come a long way um, with learning how to manage anxiety in my adult life. <laughs> and I, I still experience it from time to time. I know that some of the typical triggers for me are when 
I have too much on my plate, you know, a lot to do, a lot of deadlines when I've taken on too much. It can also be triggered by putting unnecessary pressure on myself to perform, to produce, to, you know, meet some sort of perfect ideal. And that's also a faulty program. Like, what is perfect anyway? Is there even such a thing? And why are we trying to be perfect when it's not really what we're meant to do as human beings, in my opinion? Okay, uh, another one similar to the previous category is comparing myself to other people. Uncertainty in my future can cause anxiety. I'm sure you can relate to that. Not having enough downtime in my schedule. Like I said, I'm an introvert, so I recharge by being alone. And if I am not able to have enough alone time, then I will experience just like this unsettled feeling throughout my day. So those are some of the triggers. And now strategies. Number one strategy is deep breathing. (laughs) And I remember when my first therapist like started off with this as his recommendation for me, I laughed. Well, I don't know if I laughed out loud, but I was just thinking, come on. Like, do you know how much I'm suffering here and you think deep breathing is going to fix me? (laughs) But now I actually see that there is definitely some value in this and particularly to help kind of in an acute moment of anxiety, just coming back to our breath getting a nice deep breath. I just took a nice deep breath myself, (laughs) which can be hard sometimes with a mask on. Um, So if you, if you're a current student of mine and you see me hyperventilating, it has to do with the mask and my tendency to get a little anxious while I'm up front in the classroom. But deep breathing is a valid strategy to, to manage anxiety. Another great one, of course, is exercise. Just like I said before, getting out for a run or doing some yoga is a great way to just get back into my body and it helps calm my mind. It also, of course, releases the endorphins, the, you know, the feel-good brain chemicals that can really calm us. Oh, similarly, strategy number three is laughter. (laughs) Laughter truly is medicine. So, finding someone that makes me laugh, um, watching comedians, watching funny animal videos. You know, sometimes we just need to have that release and just lighten up. And a lot of times anxiety comes from taking ourselves or our situation too seriously. And I'm not saying that the things that are happening in our lives or in our world are not serious. Of course they are. But sometimes we do, I think, need to step back and just lighten up a little bit and take ourselves less seriously. And uh, humor can help with that. What else? Oh, strategy number four is, once again, getting out in nature, particularly in a forest or near a body of water. I find this to be very calming. And I think being in nature reminds us to slow down, right? Nature is never in a hurry. So if we can surround ourselves by these just the natural rhythms of life, then I think it helps us slow down our racing minds, our racing thoughts. Strategy number five is once again to do a brain dump, but for a a different purpose this time. If anxiety has been provoked by 
like having too much going on in your life, having a really busy schedule, lots of things to do, then you can use a brain dump to get all of that stuff out of your head, make a list, right? Like write down all of the things that you that you need to do, that you should do, that you're thinking about doing. <laughs> Anything that's weighing on you, just get it out, get it onto a piece of paper. And then you can take each one and either plan them out on your calendar. Just taking it one day or one task at a time is really helpful. And just, I think the sheer act of getting them out of our head can be very relieving. Strategy number six is, once again, connecting with my spiritual center, reminding myself that I am supported, that I can always go within to find that sense of peace. And then strategy number seven is kind of related. It's the idea of releasing control, reminding myself that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know what the future holds. So this is really related to dealing with the anxiety produced by an uncertain future, which, by the way, a lot of college students experience, right? Because you're at a phase in your life where you don't know yet what your career is going to be. And you know, you're just kind of figuring a lot of stuff out. So if we try to control everything, I, th- <laughs> I think we can drive ourselves crazy. And that's also just not realistic. Not everything is within our ability to control. So at some point, I think there's value in just releasing that and knowing that all I need to do right now is the next right thing. (laughs) Throwing us back to um, the previous episode. If you didn't listen, then check that out and you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, gosh, there's so much more I could say about this still, but I want to wrap it up here for now. I'm sure we'll revisit this conversation And uh, just remember that these are my strategies, but they may or may not work for you. I would love to hear what you would add to this list. And if you take only one thing away from this episode, then let it be that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to talk about it and seek help. Being proactive and taking measures to take care of yourself, that makes you strong and courageous. And just remember that if you're feeling any of this, then you are not alone. You do not have to suffer in silence. If you're a university student, remember that you have resources available to you. Counselors, campus ministers, professors, and classmates who you can confide in. Not to mention your family, if you have a supportive family that you can talk to about this kind of stuff. If you know someone who's struggling and might benefit from hearing this message, please share this podcast with them. You know, let it open the door to talking about these topics. And don't be afraid to check in with your people, your friends or your family, and ask them. Like, really ask them how they are doing. And really listen to what they say. Look, if we're going to make it through these times in one piece, then we need more real conversations. We need more real answers. Not the fake, everything is fine, I'm doing great, I'm doing amazing garbage, if that's not actually the case. If it is, then awesome. Let's shout that off the rooftops. I'm all for celebrating when things are going well. We need to celebrate our highs just as much as we need to acknowledge the lows. Because you know what, guys? That's what makes us human. Okay, have a great rest of your day. Please, please, please be good to yourself and take good care of one another. I'll talk to you next time. 
Hey, before you go, if you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or follow me on Spotify. And you can also follow me on Instagram at life.betweenclasses for podcast updates and other related content. Thanks for joining us for Life Between Classes, where we know that there's more going on than meets the eye.